podcast. We have had our penultimate game of the A-League women's season and we now look towards the grand final. But the way we got there was weird. That's the only adjective I have for it. It was one of the weirdest games of the season. So naturally, that means there is a fair bit to talk about out of it and we cannot wait to crack into it. But before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lodanik, Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So, friends, let's talk some dub. Let's do some you love to see it because that's how we start off these pods. So, Sam, do you want to kick us off with a you love to see it? Well, just outside of Sydney FC qualifying for their sixth consecutive grand final, there is one particular player who I thought was an absolute standout in their win over Melbourne Victory, a player who has really been the heartbeat, I think, of this side, not just this season, but also last season, and that was Mackenzie Hawksby. In the first half of this game, which we'll get into in a second, it really felt like Sydney were quite flat, but the only player who was absolutely running full pelt all the time and bringing the energy, bringing, bringing the spark, bringing the fight was Maka. She was making these incredible box-to-box runs. She was feisty. She was into tackles. She was doing as much as she could to try and drag her team up to the level that she knew that they needed to be at in order to get a result. She was amazing. And Auntie Yurich, the head coach, said after the game that the biggest possible compliment he could give her is that he hopes that she doesn't leave, uh, which is a a pretty um, prescient kind of comment to make, considering that she is, I think, getting to the level where she could start looking overseas pretty soon. So, Mackenzie Hawksby basically driving Sydney FC to this crucial win and qualifying for their sixth grand final in a row. Love to see it. We absolutely did love to see it. Harrow, what did you love to see? On a on a similar note, um, if Mackenzie Hawksby was one standout for Sydney Sydney FC, bar goal scorer Madison Haley, of course. Uh, the other was Nat Tobin, who. Um, is a sensational leader, has been for a very long time at Sydney FC. Um, well publicised, she's searching for that second championship. She was only a little baby when they uh, when she last won one. Um, wasn't involved in, in the one they won a few years ago. Um, so she just led from the front against um, against Melbourne Victory and that was partially keeping Melina Ayres quiet. Huge job in itself. But also she went on a few adventures, Nat Tobin. She was... It's not something we always see. We know she likes to push into midfield, but she was getting really adventurous. Clearly had been with airs looking maybe a little bit hampered. I know she had some treatment on her knee. Clearly looked like she'd been given a bit of an instruction or maybe it was just a bit of intuition to go, to make airs accountable, to run off her, to have a bit of fun. And to be honest, the reason Sydney scored that goal is because Nat Tobin goes off on an adventure down the left wing, puts in a ball, it creates some chaos, goes back to Sarah Hunter, Casey Dumont spills it and Haley scores. And that doesn't happen if you don't have Tobin making that unpredictable run and um, just creating that chaos in the box. It, it felt like it was the tipping point for Victory, who'd been under siege all day. Um, and when it's your captain leading from the front like that, being willing to gamble, willing to take that chance to make it happen, pure uh, pure force of will, uh, much like uh, Mackenzie Hawksby. So, yeah, Nat Tobin genuinely leading from the front, going on some adventures and, and driving Sydney FC in, into that grand final. You love to see it. December, and also defenders deserve more love. So, 
That's spoken like a defender if ever I've heard it. Also, you may be shocked to learn this, but Nat, Nat Tobin's relief in like the immediate post-game interview, I love to see that because as much shit as I have given mm-hmm. Sydney, like I didn't want to see Nat Tobin sad again. Like it, that physically made <laughs> me like, sad. Like to a few years back. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to see it because they're good people. They're good people exactly. and they work so hard and the disappointment uh, over and over again. She even admitted, right, Marissa, she said, oh, I was thinking back to that grand final a couple of years ago where obviously Cooney Cross scored the um, the Olympico. It's like you could tell they were all starting to get those flashbacks. So to take it upon yourself to go and make sure that didn't happen again, I, I thought was huge. I also love that she was like, Maddie, I love her. <laughs> like, just raw emotion about Madison Haley scoring that goal. It was It was really good. It was genuine relief. So I actually did love to see that. But Angela, what did you love to see? I love to see Katie McCabe being feral. I don't know. Obviously, this wasn't in the, the prelim final. <laughs> this was in Arsenal's game against Wolfsburg in the Champos. That happened last night. Yeah, it was actually a, a night kickoff, wasn't it? Um, but it's just... It's excellent. Um, you can see the footage on Twitter account. Did Katie McCabe get a yellow today? Question mark. Excellent stuff. Um, she definitely, she she indeed get, did get a yellow for what she did. So um, basically Lena Obadoff tackled Leah Walty. Katie McCabe comes in and just thumps her. Just like full body. Just like, I don't know. It's not a tackle. I don't know. She just crashed into Obadoff and the ball was nowhere to be seen. And anyway, it was just, it was excellent stuff. There was a ruckus that ensued. And then um, there's another clip of like basically McCabe walking off and talking to Oberdorf. You can't tell if she's whispering threats or trying to be like, I'm so sorry. Like I just got caught up in the moment. You, you're not too sure. It doesn't, it seems a little bit sinister. But anyway, on this podcast, we support women's rights, but we also support women's wrongs, which is why I love to see this. So Katie McCabe <laughs> being... Marissa, can I say it? Because I feel like it's we have the we have the space to explain the context. We're, we're pushing the Mickey Mouse thing, so can you self bleep just so Mickey Mouse doesn't hate us entirely? Mm-hmm. Yes, fair enough. Um, in Australia, we have an expression when you say that someone's a mad. See you next Tuesday. If you get what I'm saying, it's like it's a compliment, and this is very much that energy. So we love to see it. Um, and Mickey Mouse, if you're upset by that, Marissa said it first. Go for her. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> love to see it. Why would you throw me under the bus? Why would you ruin the sanctity of the group chat here for me? Anyway, no, but we did. It was very funny, and it's exactly the kind of energy you expect from Katie McCabe. Um, and we obviously can't wait to see that in July for the opening game of the World Cup. Um, really quickly from me, just a couple of you love to see it. It's Mary Fowler scored her first WSL goal for Manchester City. It is a very comical goal in the sense that literally no defender is on her she gets the most glancing touch like 12 yards out and somehow it just bounces past defenders past Mackenzie Arnold in the goal it's just like you could put Benny Hill music behind it and it would not sound out of place but we love to see it so big congrats to her and at the opposite end of the spectrum talking of Champo semi-finals Caroline Graham Hansen's goal for Barcelona against Chelsea in the other semi-final Magnafink so beautiful, so stunning. Just a really beautiful curling, long-range effort. 
and Ketrenberger could not do anything about about it. And it was just a delight to watch. And it was helped that it was a 9.30pm kickoff. So it was a suitable time for Australians one and all. So absolutely loved to see that. But we need to get into the prelim because that is what this podcast is about. So we had Sydney FC won Melbourne victory nil. The Madison Haley goal in the 89th minute after what was a bizarre twilight zone kind of game. There were a thousand shots for Sydney and yet none of them were going in. Everyone watching this game was thinking like, what the hell is going on? How have they not scored? What is happening right now? And then the fumbliest fumble gave Sydney FC this goal. Madison Haley, real poachers finish. But Sam, you were at the game. How how did you process this game in the media box? Because we were all watching at home and were able to process it in the comfort of our homes. How the hell did you kind of wrap your brain around what you had seen? <laughs> It was, all right, so coming into this game, the way that I framed it, and shout out to a friend of the pod, Annabelle Martin, who uh, is was in the media box with me. She's one of my little mentees, my minion mentees through the FA Mentorship Program. And we said to each other, okay, this game can go one of two ways. One, it can be another Melbourne City, Melbourne victory, chaos hour of power, and it's going to be unpredictable and insane and nobody's going to know where it goes. Or number two, it's going to be really boring, really jammy, and there's going to be one crappy goal right at the end to either team. Regardless of the stats, regardless of which team looks on top, there's going to be one goal that decides it. And we turned to each other as soon as Madison Haley's goal just like trickled in after that hopeful little toe poke through the absolute mess of that goal mouth scramble. And yeah, and we nodded to each other in in um, in sort of like the existential kind of uh, knowingness. So it was a really strange game, and I was sort of particularly in the first half. It felt it it the it, it felt like they were running through sand. It felt really slow. It felt really lethargic. It I don't know. It was it was not the the energy that you would expect from a game of this magnitude. Um, I think part of that is because these players are tired. <laughs> um, okay, there's no sort of getting around the fact that it's a longer season. Uh, both of these teams have had injury issues. They've had to play some really significantly um, sapping football in the last week or two. Um, you know, you had the, the extra time to penalties Melbourne Derby for the, the first semi-final. Then you had... Sydney FC getting crushed by Western United um, physically and sort of emotionally in that in that whole thing. Um, so coming into this, yeah, it was it was it was a really strange one, and you sort of saw, I think, very quickly the impact um, of the the absence of Amy Jackson for Melbourne Victory. I think she was she she provides such an important sort of centrifugal force for that team and she does everything correctly and because you didn't really have that the the ability for Melbourne Victory to play in transition which is what they needed to do against a team like Sydney who liked to hold the ball and liked to move it around a lot it just wasn't there um you know the first five minutes yeah five ten minutes there were some a couple of opportunities through Melina Reyes through Catherine Zimmerman but they just didn't really have the oomph. It's, it sort of reminds me of what my mum used to tell me when I played football when I was younger. And you'd go through a semi-final game 
and it would be absolute crash and bash and you'd give absolutely everything and you would scrape over the line and you would win it and it would be the most amazing game that you'd ever played and then you get to the final and then you get thumped like 4-0. And then my mother would say to me, don't worry, Sam, you played your final last week. That's what it feels like for Melbourne Victory. It felt like Victory played their final last week against Melbourne Sam. City and this was just the, yeah. Do you know what also happened last week is he told this exact same story on the pod. Did I? It's the same five. It's a the double, same. It's a exactly double up mentioned for Sandy. Yes. Shout out to, to the pod mum. <laughs> but it did. It felt like it felt exactly like that for, for Melbourne Victory. Not for Sydney FC. I think for Sydney FC this was this was a game that they had full control over. Oh, um, and it was it it was just a matter of them having to take their chances, which they did not do. And this is something that they're gonna have to fix before they face Western in the grand final because they had 10 billion shots. And that just somehow went over. Like there were so many that were just point blank range that didn't even go on target. It was really strange. Um, yeah, so it was a, it was a weird game. I didn't like watching it. It's a weird one, Sam, because on the surface you looked at it and you went, are the victory trying to do what Western United did a week earlier, which is just, you know, hold firm defensively, be really uh, stoic and try and just keep sitting them, out and then get them, them on the, the counter. But as, yeah. as Jeff Hopkins said post-match, I think both on TV and in his presser, that was Sydney that forced them back. And Victory just looked knackered. Like, they yeah. – I don't know if it was so much they played their grand final week before. I think they just ran out of legs. Like, you could tell Zimmerman was hampered, Privatelli. Amy Jackson, I think, was the tipping point. Like, it's easy to forget. They would have expected at some point they might lose Alex Chidiak. Losing Elise Callan Knight on top of that, your midfield's already shattered. And then Amy Jackson gets suspended and all of a sudden – you're operating with a midfield of 17-year-old Alana Murphy, Tiff Eliadis, and Nat Tatham, who is a midfielder but has not played midfield most of the season because she's been a deputy left back because Gemma Simon had been injured for a lot of the season. It's, it just felt like sort of the the straw that broke the camel's back, Jackson being out. They lacked, as you say, Sam, that physicality, that intent. She's a threat around goal as well. She can drop back and help defensively. Um, and also not having a real all of those pieces happening meant they also had to play Beatty Goad at left back to cover Courtney Vaughan, who was clearly also hampered, but is always threatening as well, right? And I thought Goad did a fantastic job. I thought Jess Nash was super. I think she's built throughout the season. Sam, you were saying to us off air before, it looks like she's filled out, which makes yeah. sense. She's 18. Um, she said to me during the week that there was a bit of a um, maybe unspoken point to prove after she went to Sydney FC and let's be honest, barely played last season. Mm. Um, and I think she's just built throughout the season at Victory. Um, they'll play her at right back. And I imagine we'll see her, especially if, say, Claudia Bunge goes um, goes overseas, you have to see, it, see at some point she'll shift centrally. But I thought she was super um, on Princess Savini, really limited her. Um, I heard Leah Blaney, who's obviously coached Nash a lot, talk about how good she is as a one-on-one defender. And I thought that came through a lot. She thwarted a lot of attacks there times where she made multiple efforts, um, looked really good on the ball, tried to get forward, even though she's not obviously a naturally like roaming uh, fullback sort of player. I thought she was super impressive in a defense that was under siege. But yeah, for me, it it felt like for Victory, it was like just hold out, hold out, hold out. Um, And I I do wonder, I've sort of thought out loud about this, whether Gemma Simon maybe had half an hour in her and if they'd managed to get to extra time, you throw her on and let Betty go go forward. But I just feel like they ran out of legs. And Sydney, um, as you say, Sam, they're going to have to sort their radar out. Um, Casey Dumont made a couple of super saves as well, of course, as she yeah. tends to do. Um, but 
yeah, it, it just felt, yeah, like they were always just holding on, holding on. Um, and once that goal came, it was always going to be super difficult to get anything going their way. Um, but Sydney were clearly the better team. I think Hopkins said as much. He said it two or three times, I think. Sydney were the better team on the day. They deserved it. And I think the fact it wasn't a grand final would have probably helped mentally as well because as much as like what Tobin said, you have those flashbacks to the grand final, it's a different pressure like throwing away a grand final to to a prelim. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Sydney actually go out and having got the monkey off the back, just go out and really fire next week against Western United. Um, yeah, great. But, yeah, I, I thought it was a yeah pretty gutsy effort. I think – for victory in terms of the post-mortem um, and uh, Jeff Hopkins said as much, I think they have to improve how they go regular season to really give themselves a, a chance next year. I imagine recruiting will come into that, like having some more mainstays, not relying on – like once they lost Alex Chidiak, they lost a lot of their spark um, and they mm. fought their way through. They had a lot of draws. Um, I think working out their attack will be a big one. Um, Melina Reyes obviously – missed a big chunk of the season with a hamstring injury as well and then came good, like, as it went on. But I feel like they might need to maybe do a little bit of shuffling, see if they can get some some fresh sparks in. Rika Madsen was good when she came in on loan and gave them something a bit different. Um, I'll be interested to see what approach they take. Um, Kayla Morrison will be better for having the season under her belt after that ACL. Um, I'll be interested, as I said, to see if they can hang on to Nash. What they do about left back, I think they maybe need to explore if they can get a a young up-and-coming left-back. Like, we've seen what Sydney have now do with, with Kirsty Fenton, how she's been really, really mm. important for them. Because Simon's clearly had her injury woes and barely got out there. And you can't play another season needing Nat Tathan to be a makeshift option. So <clears throat> it, it feels like the team that really deserved it won on the day. And I think it's it's kind of um, perfect that the two teams that were really fighting for the plate up to the last couple of days are going to be in this grand final. I'm, I'm super excited for it. Because I don't think Western United can do exactly the same thing they did two weeks ago and win. No, agreed. Yeah, I, honestly, when that goal went in, it was sort of, like like you said, like relief. It was very much that stop, stop, he's already dead kind of vibe. I don't know. Like, it's it sort of, I don't know. I'm glad Sydney able to finally get the ball in the back of the net so that we didn't have to go into that that extra time because I just oh I feel like it would have been cruel and unnecessary and it was unnecessary come on Sydney thump us if you're gonna do it like like the this yeah they should have yeah just like Sydney should have won that game by like three or four goals at the very least like Rachel Lowe had a chance there was Princess Sabini had a chance pretty sure Courtney Vine had like there were so many chances where the ball just didn't want to go in its home it was really frustrating yeah and I'm yeah it was like definitely I feel like probably the I don't want to say weak because that's it sounds like a, a not a nice word to use in this context but it was one of the weakest starting 11s like we've seen from this victory victory side all year. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do wonder where, where to from here, because there's some great young players in this squad. Um, but I, I do wonder if it's going to be a case of having to do quite a big refresh. If players will want to move on after this, like I'm intrigued to see if Claudia Bunge will come back for example, not because I have any insight into her going elsewhere, but it does kind of feel like this is the end of a particular era for victory. Um, and 
I don't know, maybe I'm just defeatist, but I couldn't see them going all the way this season. And now I'm proven right, but it's like the saddest I was right ever. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't really have too much to add on that. But like, yeah, in terms of like youngsters, again, we've seen what Jeff can do when he has like a very talented core of young players. And I think that's been one of the highlights of this season is seeing some of those come through. So Murphy, for example, um, Paige Zoys has been great in in a few moments not in quite a lot of moments across the season i what what role maya malkovsky plays long term i'm also interested because i feel like she's still not getting enough minutes to be like a solid contender for like an out and out attacker in the team and i wonder if there's still more that she can prove and, and show but like we're not she's not necessarily getting the minutes to make any kind of formidable statement either way. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. Um, I hope, I don't know, they will have a nice long girl rest because including Jeff, Jeff, please, please have a girl rest as well. Um, because yeah, it's been, it's been a season and I do like the point Sam you made about like the season being longer, like that's going to be a period of adjustment. I think for a lot of teams, as we kind of we've got full full home and away next season which is exciting for a lot of reasons but on the other side of it how that affects things like squad management and selection choices and um any if there are any specific rules that might be added to kind of manage that I don't know but yeah anyway so it was a a, a sad a sad game I don't know (laughs) it's really hard to watch I'm sorry it was not it was not pleasant it was not pleasant anyway that's yeah, all it was it was sad. really sad and it was like and it also ended in the saddest possible way as well with Casey Dumont spilling the ball like of all the of all the narratives that could have happened in this game that was the one that I least wanted because we've seen how extraordinary she has been in games like this over the past couple of seasons. And like she she practically won the game for Melbourne Victory last week against Melbourne City. And that was the that was the Casey Dumont game. We've like we've already decided that it's called Casey's Field now. You know, like it was an iconic performance from an iconic goalkeeper. And this it, it's almost like a sort of awful karmic retribution that it, it happens to be her that you know, just makes that one little error to to send her team out of the final series. Um, and I couldn't help but notice that there's a little bit of a rumour going around today that she's possibly thinking about going to the AFLW, uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> please don't, Casey, we love you, please stay. Um, yeah, it was it was really shit house. And I, I remember um, watching Casey after the full-time whistle yeah, she she was absolutely devastated. You know, she walked over to the sideline. She didn't really say anything to anyone. She went and sat down on the bench for a bit. Um, she threw a bottle down. She stood back up and walked over the side of the barrier and just sort of stood by herself for a good a good five or ten minutes, just sort of staring off into the middle distance, not really saying anything to anyone. Um, which you know, I don't think anybody can blame her for that considering all that she's done for this team and how much responsibility she must feel is on her shoulders um, come these kinds of moments. So, yeah, shout out to friend of the pod, Casey, because you've been extraordinary this season and last season. And we know that you're incredibly resilient, so hopefully you'll be able to bounce back from this. 
Jeez, they don't even get into that position if she's not there. Like exactly, exactly. She, like she made so many crucial saves in that earlier in that game. Um, and like it felt like in that moment when the goal happened, there was just so much chaos after the Tobin ball. And I feel like probably that victory defense would have got around to Casey and said we should have cleared it better beforehand. But to be honest, like they were all running on empty, and Sydney mm-hmm. pounced finally <laughs> when when they needed yeah. it. So. Yeah, I hope we don't see Casey Dumont go to AFLW for what it's worth. Um, I I think she's just in tremendous form as a goalkeeper. Um, and I feel like diluting that by going and playing another sport would be, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it'd be hard to keep up the same form. It's very difficult to be a cross-code athlete now. Um, and AFLW is brutal, like on your it body as well. Like, um, especially I, with her like, injury history, you you wonder how, yeah. it would, how it would go. I'm thinking of, like, Brie Davey, you know, like moving from football to AFLW and then just, like, her knees just collapsing beneath her. <laughs> like, Casey, we don't want that for you, doll. Please stay in football. No, but um, I can understand why they've gone for her in the sense of how good she is aerially, how commanding she is, her height. Um, obviously, she'd be able to read the game well. Um, despite not having an AFLW background, she's obviously from – from Queensland and has played well for a long time, whereas Bree was a very much a um, and I would have been an AFLW player as a kid had it existed, right? Um, so yeah, I'll be interested to see how that one plays out um, because I was surprised to see that that link um, when it when it was reported on the on the AFL website today. Um, so yeah, I'll be a watch this space, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather see Casey continue. It's her decision, obviously. I'd rather see her continue to ask questions when it comes to the. Um, how the Matildas pick their three goalkeepers or or future squads than, um, yeah, going off the radar by playing AFLW, I suppose. She's a can, I do, <laughs> can I do a bit of nuffery as well? So um, on Twitter, a Melbourne Victory supporters account uh, tweeted a photo of a man talking to a brick wall and labelled it pre-game image of Hopkins talking to Casey Dumont, which was very funny. Casey's then replied after the game and said, I tried to be that, unfortunately one mistake, and it hurt us. Um, Victory Vikings then replied to that, basically saying, don't apologise, you've been great, blah, 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 blah. Casey replies to that then, saying, thanks, guys, blah, 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 blah. Big plans ahead, so no downtime, straight into next phase of life. Watch this space. Now, am I reading too much into this? Potentially. Does it mean? I don't think you are. (laughs) There's there's a winky face as well. So I'm just saying maybe maybe she's telling us things through the emojis. I don't know. I would like to (laughs) see her, you know, continue being an excellent goalkeeper in the dub, but she's got to do what makes her happy um, at the end of the day. Shall we move into a little bit of a grand final preview? Because ultimately that is what Sydney winning this game means. They are through to a sixth consecutive grand final, as Sam mentioned in the You Love to See It. They will take on Western United. As you said, Harrow, it was one and two basically all season. So it does feel like a very fitting, deserved grand final matchup. How do we see this one playing out? Because... 
they've already played three times this season. They played twice throughout the year and then obviously had the semi-final last week. There's been a pretty even balance of results. We had Western United beating them 1-0 in one of the very first games of the season and it was this big, massive shock. Sydney got them back with the 3-0 win in the second game of the season and then, as we know, the 2-0 in the semi-final last week. So how do we see this one playing out? Is it going to be a really tight defensive game? Can we see it becoming a bit more of a a goal fest because both sides obviously have really good attackers? How do we see this one actually playing out? I think Sydney will win this. I think Sydney will win this for a couple of reasons. I I think that they have learned from that loss in the semifinal um, to Western. I think that they have seen that Western's game plan against them is basically body them off the ball and don't let them get into a rhythm. But I think Sydney's players are smart enough to be able to respond to that quickly. Um, I also don't think that Western have, I don't know, I just, I don't think they they have another gear to them yet. I don't think they've got the players to, to really find a second gear outside of like just sort of hoping that Hannah can get on the end of a long ball and, and, and score in transition like they did in that first semi. Um, and I also think that Sydney are going to be a, similar to that game as well. Off the back of this victory game, I think they're still going to be really annoyed at their finishing. And I think that this this week in terms of training, they are going to be out there on the field just kicking the ball into the net over and over and over and over and over again to remind themselves of what it feels like because they absolutely should not have lost that first game to Western. And this game against victory should not have been as close as it was. Um, so I think all of that is going to come into this final performance from Sydney FC because they really do, they deserve this. They, they've been the best side over the course of the regular season and they've also been the best side in the final series. If you, if you take all of the football into account, they've been the best team. Um, Nante Juric said it as well, um, I think it was sometime last week, that this is the best Sydney FC side he's ever coached which is a pretty huge deal when you think about some of the players who he's had, including several senior Matildas. Um, so, yeah, I, I I don't think Western are going to be able to either repeat what they did last time, uh, particularly not now with the absence of Angie Beard, who was, who was really, really important in, in keeping Courtney Vine quiet. Um, and I think that Sydney are just going to be too good because they, they know what they need to do now. I agree completely. Um, I don't think you can repeat that sort of effort that Weston did the first time around because it is mentally exhausting having to yeah. play that type of game style. I know they've had the break. Let's not forget the farcical situation where Sydney get to sleep in their own beds and drive to the ground for Weston's yeah. grand home yep. grand final. Sydney mm-hmm. were like the APL were this far away from having so much egg on their faces where it would have been an all Melbourne grand final in Sydney. You, you still have yeah. a pretty rubbish situation where what Western gets to pick their change rooms. Is that is that what they get? Like <laughs> you can understand if like they they have to block that out. Like you can't just play with a chip on your shoulder about it. Maybe they will, maybe that's what will fuel them, but um they've had a good couple of weeks to figure out what they want to do. I think the fact that Courtney Vine is clearly struggling with that calf um will help. Having Angie Beard out is is a massive loss, but they can look at Avlanich or they can they do have some off options to shuffle because obviously Beard came in partway through the season. Um, she's a huge out though. But yeah, I, I don't think they can go that same just defense Sturkley and hope you'll catch them on the counter approach. I just mm. um, don't see that working. The big question mark for me is 
does Chloe Legasso make an appearance? <laughs> like, um, they've been talking about her being available. She did a heap of media last week. This, this is not her fault, obviously. The club's done media with her and then she's not played that game. If she's fit, you ha- have to have her come off the bench as an option because she is a game changer. She can make things happen. We saw that for them early in the season. I don't know if we will see her, though. Um, I don't know if they can go full-on toe-to-toe with Sydney because Sydney are, you know, so good if you let their attacking weapons like Hawksby, Abini, Vine, Lowe, who's been in really good form, go to work. Um, but I don't think they can just go full, not quite park the bus, but full defensive mode and try and get them on the counter. I just I just don't see that happening again. Sydney will plan for that. Sydney will try and execute that. And after managing to break through against victory in, in a game that really did go down to the wire in that sense – They'll have so much confidence that they know how to get through that sort of situation. I'm going to be fascinated. Um, I I think it will be really entertaining. I think Sydney will get the chocolates. I think they'll have learned from this. I think they've got the monkey off their back in terms of the victory thing. It's really up to Western to come and bring a show and turn it into a turn it into a big occasion and and really pinch this one off Sydney FC as much as they won the first the first final. They're going to go into this as the underdogs. So. It's, yeah. I do think Hannah Keane is always a threat, though. Like, I feel like that is where they can get her. She has those smarts. She knows how to get in behind. And that's where Tobin and McLean are going to have to be really, McLean are going to have to be really on their toes because she's got a lot more pace than a Melina Ayres um, and offers just a very different type of goal-scoring threat. So, mm. we'll see. I just hope it's good fun. Please, please. Yeah. I want to <laughs> finally. Prelim, some... we, we need some good football, please. Yeah. Finally. Yeah, we're some two, good two in terms of In terms of like great matches, we're 2-1. Like we've had two sort of stodgy defensive games and one being the Chaos Derby. We deserve mm. a leveler. Yeah. I and just. Wasn't she chaotic? Um, we, like. I I don't I don't know. I always go for the I always like to go for the underdog, so I'm a little bit torn because as much as I hate to admit it, it would make me very sad if Sydney did not win this final. Like like sad and angry. I said a couple of weeks ago that I'd be furious if they got through to the final and didn't win it. And I still think that still stands, but they just they need to get it done. But I do think I don't think it'll be a clean sheet for Sydney. I think Western will score. Um, I'm hoping for some yellows, but like ones that aren't people getting injured or hurt, just like some, you know, like Katie McCabe ones. Although that Katie McCabe some professional yellow, foul yellows. Yeah, it looked like she really did overdose neck. Worse than a chiropractor. Anyway, um, yeah, some professional fouls, some drama. Yeah, that's what that's what I want, and that's what I'm predicting as well, manifesting. Um. But yeah, should be interesting, and I'm glad that you mentioned the 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 final location, Anna, because I don't know if that's just like a a little boot in and of itself that this is happening. And I think it's um, Marissa, you can probably speak to this a bit better than I can. But the kind of discussions that are happening at the moment as well that place A League women's fans in really difficult positions in terms of like being asked to boycott. Mm a league that doesn't get the support and resourcing that it should. Um, currently, it's just, it's it's an iffy one. So, 
yeah it's i don't know oh. here we are it's it's and it's also interesting like i'm like you can cop this discussion from some people but i'm probably not going to cop talk of boycotting the a-league women finals from people that probably were never going to go even in this situation right because there are fans of the a-league men that don't normally go to the a-league women and if they're talking about this in the same tone like it's a very complex thing but it's a bit of a check yourself one as well isn't it like if you aren't someone who would normally be going to the a-league women or be normally supporting the women probably maybe don't tell those fans how to feel about it is is my vibe because it's a complex issue people have to deal with it emotionally in terms of what they want to do do they want to support the team do they want to go to the game do they want to make a statement do they make want to make a stand like whatever they want to do as fans they i think can make their own decision on that and shouldn't be pressured by people who have their opinions on the grand final decision and are applying that to the women's because the women's finals have come first they're happening before the men's finals the thing for me with that is that when you think about the concept of a boycott, it's meant to be a gesture that sends a message, right? It's meant to send a message. It's meant to have an impact. So when you've got a situation where you don't really have that many active fans showing up to women's games anyway, their absence is not really going to send a message. Like their absence is not going to be noticeable because they're not going to really be there in the first place. Whereas if you think about it in a men's final, if you've got, a huge like two or three active bays who all stand up and leave the stadium that sends a message it has a visual impact it it impacts the 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 atmosphere the sound the engagement of the crowd like that's the stuff that gets people paying attention to the message behind the boycott whereas in the situation like in the women's it's not it's not the same because it's a different context and it's a different kind of dynamic um it is i it is difficult though you know like what because you can see it, you can you see it from the perspective of the APL, where they are wanting to create a an event, right? It, it doesn't really matter what the teams are because we are not their target audience with this kind of event. The the target audience is people who like football, but maybe they don't really support a team. Maybe they don't follow the A Leagues very much, but they play out in Western Sydney, they play out in the Northern Beaches or whatever, and they have a free Sunday afternoon, which, but, but they probably don't because they'll be playing, which is another weird scheduling thing. Um, so like I've missed my game because I'm having to come and cover this. So, but you know, they're trying to create an event to capture a new, a new community of people, a new community of football fans um, in, in, in doing this sort of thing. So you can sort of see it from that perspective, um, but it's going to be really frustrating for, for future grand finals, I think, because, really the the success of this depends on it, it depended on sydney fc getting to this point um if it was uh, if it was a melbourne victory and a western united in the women's grand final it, it the stadium is probably not going to be anywhere near as full as it may be who knows what how many tickets have actually been sold the apl said a couple of weeks ago they're aiming for ten thousand people and that they were tracking towards that but who knows whether that's actually going to happen i don't know I just, I just, I feel bad for the players because the players are always the ones who are caught in the, the riptide of this sort of shit, you know, and they try so much. They do so much for this game. They do much, so, so much for each other. They do so much for their fans and they're, they're just sort of chess pieces in all of these things, you know? So I just hope that they put on a really good show. I hope that none of them get injured. 
Um, and I hope that some of them are able to get, you know, contracts with other clubs or national team call-ups or whatever, that they're able to progress in their own careers regardless of all this sort of circle of bullshit that's floating around them. When you're like, oh, a boycott is when you, you know, the actors support walk out and I'm like, oh, wait, no, they do that when the, the women's games are after the men's games, right? No. Okay. <laughs> they're double headers. Is that, a boy, is that boycott, that. guys, or are you just pricks? I'm um, sorry. No. <clears throat> anyway, um, and I'm sorry. another stupid joke for you all. I'm like, boycott? Sorry, that doesn't apply to me. I only girl cut things. Thank you. Anyway, sorry, no. It's bad as well. It's bad. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> boycott. I can't read that. Sorry. I don't know how. Um, but, yeah, you're girl cut. Girl boss. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, we also tried the the walkout thing, and some of you fucking shut the bed on that. So I don't know if I will be listening to advice from that particular faction. Anyway, walked out in the wrong direction, I think. Yep. <laughs> anyway, the A League Women's Grand Final is on April 30th. It's a Sunday. It's out at Combank Stadium in Parramatta. Kick off at 4 p.m. You can watch it on 10 Bold, which I'm absolutely delighted about if you've ever seen my Twitter account. And you can also watch it on 10 Play and Paramount Plus. So obviously, we will be watching it. We will be covering it. And we will have a pod about it in the aftermath. But. It's time to get into some boots. We've got two really quick injury boots and then an actual proper boot. So we kind of glossed over it in that chat, but Angie Beard has confirmed that she has been ruled out of the grand final thanks to the injury she picked up in that semi-final. She twisted her ankle, it seems, in the really shoddy part of Allianz Stadium. So just a shocker. You you never want to see a player get injured, but especially when it looks like it could have been prevented if the surface was actually up to standard. We hate it. A boot. Um, we also have to boot the anterior cruciate ligament once again because it's Not again. the worst. I swear to God, I think it likes the being worst booted of the ACLs. at this stage. <laughs> That's a big statement, Anna. The old Christian lobby. They come and they have their highs and lows, but... <laughs> But the cruciate ligament hurts me more often. <laughs> and of course, Asian Champions League. We love you. You've never done anything wrong. Um, but yeah, Leah Williamson's anterior cruciate ligament specifically, just awful. Um, you know, there's obviously been too many. We've literally said this sentence so many times and it feels obviously really, really shitty for Leah <clears throat> this close to the World Cup. So obviously wishing her a smooth and speedy recovery, wishing Angie a smooth and speedy recovery, but those are some tiny boots. We have a bigger boot to boot. That was a terrible sentence. But Sam, why don't you get us into this boot? Yeah, so this week's boot uh, is to cancer. Fuck cancer. Uh, anyone who's been following any sort of Matilda's alumni accounts or even the Matilda's main accounts on social media would have seen that earlier this week, Sally Shippard uh, was diagnosed with a really rare form of ovarian cancer. Um, it's It acts sort of like bowel cancer uh, in the way that it spreads and apparently the type that she has, it, it occupies only 10% of all ovarian cancers. So 
she had a marathon 10 hour surgery and she is going to follow that up with at least six months of chemotherapy and, and other kinds of radiation. So it's a really scary time uh, for Sal and for her partner, April. It's a scary time for uh, their, fam- their family and friends uh, and for really the sort of whole bigger women's football network um, through the Matildas and also through Canberra United, who she played for uh, with much uh, joy and passion and humour. Um, I had a really nice chat with Michelle Heyman uh, for a story that I wrote about Sal and she told me all these wonderful little anecdotes about some of their fondest memories together, including when Sally participated in uh, Movember, which sounds strange on the surface because uh, Sally is unable to grow a beard, but what she decided to do instead was to get people to draw a moustache on her every day of November in order to raise money for men's health, including during some Cambria United games. So if you uh, have access to any kind of photo archives, you can probably scroll back and find photos of Sally Shepard playing for Cambria United with a giant handlebar moustache drawn in black text on her face. <laughs> she, she's a fabulous person, former Matilda, uh, two Women's World Cups and Olympic Games. She was described as Ellie Carpenter before Ellie Carpenter. She debuted when she was just 16 years old in 2004. Um, and she's also been incredibly open about a lot of the struggles that she's been dealing with off the field, including with an eating disorder. She's the first Matilda that I can remember who spoke openly about um, her battles with eating disorders and disordered eating. And she really, I think, paved the way for a lot of other players to come forward, including Katrina Gorey, um, to, to speak about this aspect of their lives as professional athletes. So, yeah, Sal, if you listen to this, I don't know if you do, but all of our best wishes are going out to you. We hope that everything goes well. Um, and, Marissa, I might just sort of, like, segue quickly into the fact that the response to the news about this is sort of our, our big how good. Um, there was a, a fundraiser that was launched by Alicia Ferguson, former Matilda's teammate, to try and raise money for for Sally and for April to cover their bills, to cover their food and their rent and their mortgage and all that sort of stuff um, while they're undergoing this. And in the first day, they already hit their target of $20,000. And I think the most recent number, Marissa, correct me if I'm wrong, is about is over $50,000 so yeah, far over in just a couple of days, which is extraordinary. And it's just a reminder that, you know, the women's football community in Australia really is a family you know, these are people who have grown up together. They've supported one another for years and years and years. And even when you stop wearing the shirt, doesn't mean that you stop being a Matilda. It doesn't mean that you stop being part of that family. So, yeah, I, I chipped in. Everyone on this podcast has chipped in. Everyone that I know has chipped in um, because, you know, we're all in this together. So shout out to Sally and shout out to um, everyone who listens and who has helped um, to support her in some way. Here, here, Sam. So many names for the Australian football community, women's and men's as well. You look at that GoFundMe yeah. and you see from across the A-League, across Matildas, across the media, um, Elise Perry is in there, a former Canberra United teammate. Like there's all, all sorts of um, current and former Matildas and figures in the Australian football community and families and general punters. Yeah. It's, it's really quite extraordinary the way um, this community has, has rallied. So, yeah. Yeah, a big how good. We'll obviously share the GoFundMe link on our social media so you can chip in if you are able to and want to. And as always, even the smallest amount helps. So if you can donate, definitely do it. 
Um, but yeah, love to see the football community banding together. It's a nice change of pace from how things go sometimes and obviously wishing Sally and April all the very best. Um, going to chuck in another how good just to really end on a silly, goofy kind of uh, note. Um, we've spoken about both Champions League semi-finals. Um, as we said, Barcelona played Chelsea. Caroline Graham Hansen scored that absolutely sensational goal. But before the game, uh, obviously they do their media, they do their press conferences. Uh, Chelsea player Gura Raichen said one of the funniest quotes that I have ever had the pleasure of reading in my life, which was, they are the favourites, blah, 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 I don't care. And it just... <laughs> I like this is the kind of personality people want from players in press conferences and media yeah. ops. Um, and I just also like because I can picture her absolutely saying this and rolling her eyes and being like, I don't care. Like, I know Barcelona is deadpan not... Norwegian accent. Like, you know. <laughs> so, if there is the audio of this quote somewhere, I would love to hear it because I just think it would make my life. But even the graphic of blah blah blah, I don't care. Absolutely tickled me every time I saw it on Twitter. So. Iconic. So good. Guru Ryden, how good. Love you playing for Chelsea. Hate you playing for Norway. Um, but we're not going to get into that. But that's us done for today. Like I said, we will have a grand final review for you next week, which we're very, very excited about. The Matildas documentary, The World at Our Feet, which is streaming exclusively on Disney+, Plus, will also be released this week and we will have some podcasts for you to listen to. It'll basically be like you watched the episodes with us. So keep your eyes peeled for those later in the week as well. As always, though, there's a whole bunch of stuff over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app, as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual pod spots. If you like what we do, leave a review and subscribe. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see it. <laughs>